Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Part of my motivation for getting up in the morning is I love to have a cup of coffee and two Debbie cookies every day. And when I don't have them, I'm cranky. What'd you do when you were a kid? Play Nintendo? The rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy. It's the ultimate disrespect is when somebody takes what's yours. And this is our game. There's never a good time, uh, but I thought maybe this was the right time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another emergency podcast here for the Until Saturday feed. I'm here with Chris Camerani, Sam Kahn Jr. I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we are breaking down all of the latest news around the Alabama coaching search. Washington head coach Kalen DeBoer has an offer in hand from Alabama. Both sides are negotiating, according to our Bruce Feldman. And uh, Barring some unforeseen circumstances, Kalen DeBoer is going to be Alabama's next head coach, replacing Nick Saban after he leaves after 17 years and six national championships. So as we get started here, let's start with you, Sam. What is your reaction to Kalen DeBoer being the guy after the guy? <laughs> Good luck. It's a, it's a tough challenge, but I will say this. Uh, it's hard to quibble with a guy that has Kalen DeBoer's track record. I mean, you look at all the success that he's had uh, at multiple levels, but in particular to build this Washington team on the cusp of a national championship. Uh, I think they had won 21 straight games and doing it without the level of talent that an Alabama or Georgia has. They, they did a really good job of constructing that roster. And look, man, I think there's a there's a an idea that just winners win. And Kalen DeBoer seems like one of those guys. So the question I guess I have is, is he going to recruit at a top five level, which is what Alabama is accustomed to? But other than that, he's built a really good organization at Washington. They've developed players. Uh, they've retained players with their NIL. He's got every other – he checks every other box that you want to coach and want to check in a coaching search and a coaching hire. So I, I think it's a pretty good hire for Alabama, and you could certainly do a lot worse than Kalen DeBoer. Chris, what are your thoughts right out of the gate here? Yeah, to to dovetail off what Sam said, um, I can't help but think of our roundtable yesterday. Sam and I were the only ones that dropped Kalen DeBoer as a potential who Alabama should hire. So it's a good thing you have us on the podcast. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I I'm assuming that a guy like Greg Byrne, who is obviously an SEC guy now, but historically, you know, kind of came up on the West Coast, is not afraid to look outside the box when it comes to um, potential hires. He knew this day was going to come eventually. So when the list of potential candidates came out of who would replace Nick Saban, I think everybody immediately glommed onto, oh, how big and how long is the Nick Saban tree and how far can, you know, Greg Byrne go down those branches to see who wants to take over? I assumed that considering so many of those guys were already in jobs that were really, really attractive, you know, high paying, just attractive jobs on their own. 
it was going to be hard to get Kirby Smart from Georgia. It was going to be hard to get Steve Sarkeesian away from Texas. It was going to be hard to get Dan Landing away from Oregon. So how would Greg Byrne go about looking at this, the totality of the search? And the totality of the search was going to take him in places that, frankly, a lot of Alabama fans probably didn't expect if and when the time came that Nick Saban was going to step down. But I agree with Sam. I think this is a very interesting, but also at the same time, I think it's a it's a good hire. I, I just have a hard time thinking that a guy like Kalen DeBoer, who has earned his stripes, who's coached at the Division and NAI levels, has won wherever he gone, he's gone. I have a hard time thinking he's going to face plant. Now, this is the most difficult job in college football, I think you can argue. So there's going to be a learning curve with that. But it depends on how strong of a staff he has and just how well he can recruit coming out of the base. Yeah, these are all great points, and we will get into them in just a second. But again, let's run through that resume for Kalen DeBoer. Obviously, we just saw him coaching in the national championship game on Monday night. He's 49 years old. He went 25 and three in two years at Washington, took over off of a four and 11, I'm sorry, four and eight season from the previous coaching regime. Um, this was someone who, again, as you mentioned, had success at every single level. He's been the head coach. His overall track record, uh, wins and loss record, is crazy. He won at the NAI level. He won at this level, and he's won at every level in between. Came to Washington from Fresno State, and from there, he was the Indiana offensive coordinator under Tom Allen. So he's had a really interesting trajectory to get to this point. We all joked on Monday that you've got Jim Harbaugh on one sideline, a household name, and then Kalen DeBoer could probably walk into any grocery store in the country and no one would bother him. I think that's going to change <laughs> now that he is going to be the Alabama head coach, uh, walking into a situation that obviously has a lot of resources and support and insanely high expectations. So we're going to dive into all of this, but before we do, we're going to reflect on how we got here because it's been a wild 48 hours. But Nick Saban's retirement, it was shocking yet not surprising. At the same time, we all knew that day would come eventually for the 72-year-old head coach. He finally has enlightened us a little bit about the decision. He sat down with Reese Davis of ESPN and talked about why this was the time and, and really how his age factored into this. I actually thought that uh, in hiring coaches, uh, recruiting players, my age started to become a little bit of an issue. People wanted uh, assurances that I would be here for three years, five years, whatever, and it got harder and harder for me to be honest about. And to be honest, this last season uh, was grueling. Uh, it was a real grind uh, for us to come from where we started to where we got to. Uh, took a little, little more out of me than usual. And, you know, when people mentioned the health issue, it was really just the grind of, can can you do this the way you want to do it? Can you do it the way you've always done it and be able to sustain it and do it for the entire season? And if I couldn't make a commitment to do that in the future, uh, the way I, I think I have to do it, I thought maybe this was the right time based on those two sets of circumstances. It's, it's an interesting insight into not wanting to drop off, essentially. Obviously, this Alabama team did make it to the college football playoff, lost in a heartbreaker at the Rose Bowl. But we all talked about it over the course of the season, how it felt like it was one of Nick Saban's best coaching jobs, that he seemed to really enjoy it, taking what that roster looked like in the beginning of the season and ending it with an SEC championship and a college football playoff berth. But these jobs 
are hard. There are a lot of expectations that come into them. So let's get into why the timing of this made sense for Kalen DeBoer. You are looking at a roster that is going to look vastly different next season for Washington. It's also going to be the first season in the Big Ten. So Chris, let's start with you about the circumstances and why, even though obviously Washington just reached a national championship game, there's a lot of momentum, why this timing made sense for DeBoer to go now? I just don't think you'll ever get another chance at this job. Like, frankly, I mean, it's we've talked about not wanting to be the guy after the guy, and a lot of people didn't want to. But I have a hard time believing that turning down this job, I just don't see it coming back to a lot of people. And I especially don't think it would come back to Kalen DeBoer unless he continued to win at Washington and, you know, was contending for national championships. Everything fell into place. The dominoes fell into place. And as you mentioned, the amount of talent that team is losing to the NFL draft this year is going to be pretty drastic. And that, and we see that the, the roster turnover with these star studded teams that have made, you know, deep postseason runs, it happens every year. Um, but you combine the, the reality that you're losing Michael Penix, you're losing Roma Dunze, you're losing Jalen Polk, you're losing Braylon Tri, so on and so forth. You're entering the big 10 and let's be honest, the, the national championship game against Michigan was a little bit, I don't want to say wake up call, but kind of a rude introduction into what life will be like. And, um, it, it just, it, it didn't go that well for the Huskies. So, um, one interesting kind of dynamic in this whole thing is last year, let's not forget that Nick Saban tried to hire Ryan Grubb, who is, you know, Kalen DeBoer's best friend, his offensive coordinator, kind of his partner in crime before he settled on Tommy Reese. And now, you know, the, this like kind of boomerang came back around and DeBoer is bound for Tuscaloosa and who knows, maybe Grubb's going to be in the running to replace him. I'm sure we'll get to that point, but um, yeah, the, this is a job that Kalen DeBoer just frankly couldn't pass down. Yeah. I, so I think funny. it's, uh, Oh, sorry, Sam. I just wanted to mention before you jump in, cause Sam, you and I saw each other in Houston. There was so much talk about Kalen DeBoer and Michigan because everyone thought the domino of Jim Harbaugh, he leaves the NFL does Michigan go after DeBoer? And I remember talking to someone in the industry who immediately said, well, do you do that? Or do you just wait a couple years for when Alabama opens? And then of course that happens literally two days later and it creates <laughs> a different opening and a different job. Right? So I think to your point, Chris, about the timing that like, if it works with the guy after the guy, these, this job doesn't open very often. Nick Saban just had it for 17 years. So I think that is a really important point to underscore that there's probably very few jobs that Kalen DeBoer would leave Washington coming off an all-time high of playing in a national championship game for. Yeah, it it really is. And like Chris said, it's your your stock is never going to get higher than it is right now. And just the future is so uncertain with what the roster holds, what the conference holds, and and everything in between. And we don't the, the fascinating thing about this to me is we don't know what Kalen DeBoer's dreams are. Like, is this a dream job for him? I would imagine so. Uh, but you know, he hasn't coached really anywhere south, uh, you know, in the south southern part of the country. He's been, you know, he had Sioux Falls. He obviously, he was in Indiana. He was at Fresno State. Now in Washington. Uh, but this is a destination job, and I, I think it, this is the other fascinating part about it for me is for Washington, which has won a national championship in the past and does think of itself as a as a power in the sport, a relevant power in the sport. It really kind of gives us a little picture of kind of where they are. And I mean, I guess Alabama is one of those just rare jobs that you can leave for, 
but Washington is a place that you would think that you could hold on to a guy like this. And so all, all these layers to me are fascinating uh, in, in this thing. And then the other part of it, you mentioned, you guys mentioned Ryan Grubb earlier is, is he the guy that's up next for Washington or, or can Caleb Moore bring him to Alabama with him? You know, so there's, there's so much to still figure out on, on this front, but um, again, a guy with a 104 and 12 record, man, it's hard to, hard to shake a stick at that. I think that, Winning is almost underrated, and I'm going to say that, and I know that's going to sound weird, but there have been some phenomenal coaches who've come from the lower ranks and who've won big time at the NAI levels or Division Three, and it's not always sexy to hire those coaches in the first place. And I think that hopefully this type of success, this type of path, and then when you look at a Chris Kleiman, Lance Leipold, you see that that there is a, a DNA, right? There, You figure out how to win at whatever level you're at. And so I think that's where we're going to get into the recruiting questions with Kalen DeBoer. But from a program building standpoint and understanding what it takes to win in college football, he has done that. He's also really good against his rivals, 3-0 versus Dan Lanning in Oregon. We have seen this is even some of the names of the coaches that were under consideration or at least linked to this job like a Steve Sarkeesian, he just beat him, right? So when you think about can he win at the SEC level, you have seen Washington do that. And I don't think anyone would say that like Washington beating Oregon twice this season, that those aren't the caliber of games that you're going to play in the SEC as well. So Sam, let's let's talk about the recruiting piece. We've talked about the the trajectory, the places that Kalen DeBoer has coached. That's not the SEC. So what's the difference? What's your level of confidence that he can do what's needed and embrace NIL to the extent that he needs to, which he did at Washington, but it's just going to be an entirely different apparatus there at Alabama. Yeah, without question. And I go back to how he constructed his Washington roster, obviously inherited a lot of talent from the previous coaches, Chris Peterson, and Jimmy Lake. I think of the 47 guys in the two deep, 32 of them were from the previous coaches the other the other 15 were from DeBoer. The key question for me in this is, does Courtney Morgan, his general manager at Washington, come with him? Because Courtney's Courtney played a big role for for a year, but but played a key role on the Michigan staff that that ended up getting to a national championship. DeBoer hired him. Those two had a previous relationship from previous stops. DeBoer hired him and he helped construct this roster now. So does he bring him to Alabama with him? And if he does. I think that gives you some confidence because of the, the track record that Morgan has. Uh, they do a really good job. That Their philosophy is going to be recruit the high schools, develop, and then fill whatever gaps you have with the portal, which I think is the right way to go. It's They're going to aim to go high school first. That's the way Nick Saban has done it. That's the way Kirby Smart's doing it. If you're a program with the status and stature of Alabama and the, the NIL resources to go recruit wherever – you go get the best high school players and develop them, and then when you need to fill experience gap or depth chart gaps, then you go plug them with the portal. The question is, is can he recruit at a top five level? And that's a question that we do not know the answer to yet. He hasn't had to do it at Washington quite yet. Uh, this is going to be a different animal because you're dealing a goal, recruiting against Kirby Smart. You'll be recruiting against Steve Sarkeesian. You're going to be recruiting against everybody in the country that's going to be in you're part of the country trying to recruit the top guys. This their last class, this this twenty twenty four class ranks thirty sixth right now for Washington. Uh, it's a little bit of a smaller class, sixteen commit. So I'm curious to see can they step that part up 
because you're going to have to in order to win because championship teams have to be built a certain way. Washington was an exception to get there. Michigan, a little bit of an exception. But more often than not, to succeed the way that they want you to succeed at Alabama, you've got to stack the roster the way they have. We, uh, our colleague Ari Wasserman, who is on a well-deserved vacation, he wrote about Courtney Morgan just last week. So you can read about him the way that he has helped build, built Washington and Michigan's rosters uh, heading into that national championship game. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A lot of the the themes of what we are talking about reminds me of Brian Kelly taking the LSU job, mostly because it was about fit. It was about can he recruit in the SEC? Can he do the top five class thing, right? Like he had been dealing with academic rules and, and just kind of a different world at Notre Dame. And I think the idea with both of these, Chris, is that you're taking a really good football coach and a really good program builder someone who can hire good coaches, develop talent, create future pros, and you're putting them in a situation where they're going to have more talent than they've ever coached, right? So that's where like, I understand the questions, but I also completely understand the optimism of taking a great coach and putting him in a situation where resources and talent will be at an endless supply. Yeah, I don't know if the Washington sports facility has a golf course that, you know, uh, Kalen DeBoer could go tee off on like Nick Saban did in his last day in the office. Um, <laughs> I I look at this, um, ironically enough, Sam and I, along with Bruce Feldman, had a, a pretty extensive takeout post this morning about kind of Washington's past and, and future. And obviously that had a shelf life of about four hours before it all went to hell. But <laughs> if... If you looked at a modern coach who could build something in the blink of an eye with every resource at, you know, at the, at the ready. And by that, I mean, like Sam mentioned, there was a tremendous amount of in-house talent that was already in place. Thanks to Chris Peterson, primarily Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake. Then in order to get the architect of the offense, you go to the portal, you get Michael Penix Jr. Who um, is ends up being a Heisman Trophy finalist. You get your starting star running back from the transfer portal. And, you know, you look at the defense, you get Jabbar Muhammad from the transfer portal, so on and so forth. You you look at what Kalen DeBoer was able to do in such a short amount of time. He was able to capitalize on what his resources on the roster were. Now, as you both said, how can he stack the roster where, you know, you're three deep, four deep is going to be ready to play and is littered with four and five star players waiting for their chance? That's going to be the 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 ultimate question because if you're going to contend for an SEC title, you're going to need to do that because there 
you know, Kalen is stepping into a totally different different playing field now. But I, I, I can't help but think it's a good hire, guys. And, and maybe I, I'll have to, you know, end up with egg on my face. But I just, I didn't think, you know, it was going to be a Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian type hire. I always thought that if and when the time came, that it would behoove Greg Byrne in Alabama to look beyond the Nick Saban tree, and that's what they've done. Yeah, it's a great point. And and for those in the comments um, who are asking for a little more of Chris's background, Chris is our West Coast guru. Somebody <laughs> pointed that out. Uh, he knows these programs uh, better than anyone on our staff and has paid such close attention to them. And I think it makes you make a great point about going out of the ordinary or a little bit out of the box. I wrote about Greg Burns' past hires, and there wasn't a clear through line with some of his most high-profile hires, right? So when he was at Mississippi State, he hired Dan Mullen, and that's a wild success, right? That's a really hard place to win. They become the number one team in the country. They're that number one team in the very first CFP rankings. That season, a lot of firsts. And then, um, you know, he he goes and he he hires Rich Rodriguez. So that's the veteran coach, kind of the retread hire off being fired at Michigan. So that's very different than the rising OC of Florida. And then from a basketball standpoint, I get it. It's Alabama basketball. It's not the same. But Nate Oates was out, out of the box. That was the Buffalo coach. You know, that was totally different. He'd been to, you know, back-to-back round of 32 in the NCAA tournament. But again, you're talking about geography difference, um, the belief that, you know, jumping up a level or, or with different resources, you can do different things. And they make it to the Sweet 16 multiple times in the first couple of years. So that Greg Byrne has a track record of doing this, or at least thinking about candidates that are more outside of the box. And this is certainly one of them. So let's talk a little bit about the roster he's inheriting. Right before this news broke that Kalen DeBoer was in negotiations with Alabama, Isaiah Bond, the receiver, hopped into the transfer portal. Now, Alabama players have 30 days because of the head coaching change, so there could be more movement. There also could be changes, knowing that who their, who their head coach is going to be. So, Sam, let's start with you about Jalen Milrow and company and basically the roster that Kalen DeBoer will be walking into. Yeah, I mean, remember, this is still a team that in the team talent composite was, I think they were number one or number two. And, and so this is still a stacked group. Obviously, you're going to lose some guys. Everybody does. Every every coaching change is going to have some turnover, uh, regardless of what happens. The fascinating thing to me will be, the, and this is part of the reason why Greg Byrne made this hire so quickly. We saw the reports out that hey, he had asked the players to give him 72 hours to make a hire because he knows you got to hold as much of this talent on the roster as you can. And so that was that's why speed was of the essence here to make this hire quickly. One of the first things that Kalen DeBoer had to do when he got to Washington was retain the roster, was keep Roma Dunze, keep Jalen McMillan, keep all these key guys that they had up and down the roster. Guess what? They did a pretty good job of it. And so the first thing that he's going to do is when he lands that plane in Tuscaloosa, him and whoever he's bringing with him, they're going to be going around the clock for the next week or two, meeting with every single player on this Alabama roster and trying to sell them on his culture, his vision, and how they're going to build this thing up. That's how he did it at Washington. I expect that's how he's going to do it at Alabama. But you've got, again, one of the top five rosters in the country. you got a top five recruiting class coming in. So you're starting from a really good good place. This is not a, hey, the last guy got fired because he wasn't getting it done. This is, this is as good a situation as you can walk into from a talent standpoint. 
It is. And you're also you're also losing some talent to the NFL draft, of course, um, as Alabama always does. But again, the portal is going to be an important piece here. And then figuring out who is going to be running this offense, because this was the offense I enjoyed watching the most this season. Huge part of that is Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator. So let's get into this conversation of where Washington could go next and what happens to Ryan Grubb, because you guys mentioned this. There is a sliding doors moment of what if Ryan Grubb takes the Alabama OC job last year and then this season with Washington doesn't unfold the way that it did. So that would certainly be an option to, to stick with Kalen DeBoer. Chris, you mentioned how close they are in their relationship together. But you'd also have to think that he would be a top candidate for this position. This was someone I think we and Chris Vanini listed on a lot of different coaching candidate lists because he is a rising star. Um, and you've got to think that that would be a huge, huge um, hire if you're Washington to keep and keep building off of what you had this season. So, Chris, what do you make of, of Ryan Grubb's situation that he's going to be facing here? Yeah, I was able to talk to both of them before the Texas uh, Sugar Bowl game and talk about their relationship. And it's really unique. I mean, this is a guy who was pouring concrete when he got a call from Kalen DeBoer offering him to be an assistant coach, you know, 17 years ago. Their their time goes back very, very far. And they've been through a lot together. This could be the one that kind of drives them apart. And it wouldn't surprise me either way, to be honest with you, if it goes either way. If Ryan decides to go with him to Alabama, where he can be an OC and recruit and have five-star talent at every position, and then maybe he becomes the next guy in the SEC at the next SEC opening or the next Big Ten opening. But then again, Washington's going to be in the Big Ten next year. And the, the big reason why Ryan decided to turn down Alabama last year, he told me, was because he convinced so many of those guys to come back and that he wanted to you know, have Michael Penix Jr., have Roma Dunze, have all these guys who, you know, he he pleaded with to come back because they had a chance to do something special in 2023. He wanted to kind of follow through on what he was selling. Now that everything's kind of in flux, I, I, I think if you're Troy Dannon, I think me, I would just go grub. I think continuity matters, especially considering the the impact that he's had offensively in such a short time there. Um, so but ultimately it's gonna come down to what Kalen and his sales pitches to Ryan, because I would I would not be surprised if we're looking at the list of of guys that you know Chris will throw out there. Chris Benini will throw out there with his job candidate profile. I think Ryan's the best one on there. You have to remember that there's right now there just aren't a ton of you know kind of quote unquote uh, you know rising stars on the West Coast from a coaching position. Either so many folks are really brand new in their jobs or they're just super entrenched. Like Washington is not going to ask Kyle Whittingham to go coach in Seattle. Maybe, maybe Jed fish, maybe you make, maybe you make a call to Jed fish. Um, but I, I think a lot of people assume that if Jed ever left Tucson, it'd be for the NFL. But I, I, I just think if you're looking from a UW perspective, I think Ryan Grubb has been groomed for this moment because he's been with Kalen DeBoer for three decades now. And if they, if they make that decision, I think it would be a wise one. Yeah, I, I'm gonna get, let's just give you some of those names that are uh, in Chris Vanini's job profile for this position. Um, I wish I could pronounce Pete Pete's last name. Can Quit, someone Quitkowski? Quitkowski. Thank you. There he is. You can just call it, him PK. You know, they all call him PK at Texas. That's that's what I'm gonna do. Pete <laughs> Pete K. <laughs> A uh, former Justin Washington Wilcox. defensive coordinator, by the way. That's right. 
Uh, Justin Wilcox, the head coach at Cal, Brent Brennan at San Jose State, Brian Harson, former Boise State, former Auburn head coach, current Wazoo head coach, Jake Dickert, Florida State offensive coordinator, Alex Atkins, Rondo, Bronco Mendenhall, who just took the job at New Mexico to get back into coaching, Kalani Sataki, the BYU head coach that I know you and I know very well, Chris. Troy Calhoun at Air Force, Jed Fish, as you mentioned, Arizona on the upswing. And then this is my favorite name on the list, Pete Carroll. He just got oh, yeah. pushed out as the head coach <laughs> of the Seahawks earlier this week. He already lives in Seattle, guys. Wouldn't that be something? So those are those are <laughs> the names on the list right now. But Chris, I'm with you. I, I, I do whatever it takes to keep Ryan Grubb and to make him your head coach. He's going to be a head coach very soon. I think you do it now. You put him in this position as you're moving into the Big Ten. You have all of the of the momentum and the the basically the advertisement for the offense that he wants to run that we all just saw on display. And I think you you do what you have to do to keep Brian Grubb. That's what I would do if I'm Troy Dannon. Yeah, I think I think it's hard to go wrong there. You watch how. By the way, it was one of the most fun offenses to watch in the country all year. Uh, I thought the, the creativity. Uh, obviously, the proficiency with with the quarterback and the group of receivers they had, the development that they had, it, it was really, really strong. And to me, if you're Ryan Grubb, there's no bad option. If you get this job, that's great. If you don't and you go to Alabama, like like Chris said, you're probably going to be in line to be a head coach somewhere pretty soon after that because with the talent they have at Alabama and, and his offense, it, they'll do really well. But I think, I think it would be smart to go that direction, but uh, certainly it'll be interesting to follow and see how it all plays out. Yeah, and and to see where this job stacks up, right? Because as we've been kind of looking at some of these positions, these names, there's a lot that's unfolding and a lot of dynamics on salaries and resources and commitment. And I want to get into the coaches, the names that have been linked to this job um i uh, by the way as we're recording this because this we are recording this live as the news is unfolding um and it's getting closer and closer to becoming official and officially announced um it is not quite yet but Kalen DeBoer's told his staff he's going to alabama so this is happening um i i do want to uh talk about some of the other names that we saw let's start with dan lanning so let's stay in the pacific northwest this was a name I immediately said that would be my number one choice if I'm Greg Byrne hiring for Alabama. He has ties to the tide. I feel like he understands exactly where college football is today and where it's going tomorrow. He There's false reports about him being in Tuscaloosa. Turns out he was watching a Bourne <laughs> movie with his son. He puts out this amazing hype video um, to, to say that he is staying. He has been pretty clear all along. Let's start with you, Chris on this where he has said like i'm i don't want my name to get linked to jobs just to get a raise i'm not going to interview places just to get a raise oregon can do what i want and what i need and he's backing that so what did you take away from the way that dan lanning removed himself from consideration and his recommitment to oregon as they're moving into the big 10 as well yeah, I mean, anytime you're aligned with Phil Knight and Phil Knight listens to you and probably will give you what you want. Listen, I know the boosters in Tuscaloosa have deep pockets, but they're not Nike rich. So let's 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 start there. <laughs> I I have no problem with it. I think it's a breath of fresh air, guys. I really do. I think this I think this coaching carousel 
I don't know what phase of uh, the turn of the cyclone we're in, but this is different than what we've had in the last four or five years where everybody's just bouncing. That speaks to kind of the, the loyalty part of it, the money part of it, and also the reality that um, the future is so unknown. And if you're Dan Lanning, you're a guy that can basically walk on water when you're winning 10 and 11 games a year and competing for conference titles. If you're winning 11 games at Alabama and not beating Georgia in the SEC title game, you're on the hot seat. So th- just think about just kind of those two worlds and how different they are. And Dan Lanning's kind of paving his own path and, you know, props to him for doing it. And we saw like, I don't know what the time mark was, but he posted that video yesterday morning. And then by, I don't know, five o'clock early dinner time, he, he announces that Evan Stewart's transferring. He gets a five-star recruit. So it's like, you know, the guy's doing something right. And I, and I think like, I think there is something to be said about honestly paving your own path. And I'm fascinated to see what landing continues to do in the post Bo Nix era. He, he's also losing um, his rival who he kept losing to. So Correct. like, it's an even Correct. better situation <laughs> to walk into. <laughs> I uh, I just love the cigar at the end of that video. The whole the whole vibe of the hype video was terrific. He just seems like a guy with a certain vibe and a certain level of juice that I'm just like I think I'd want to play for that guy if I was a dude. If I, was a I every the more we see of Dan Lanning, the more I love him. Like he is becoming that guy, and I, I'm with you, Chris. I think it was so refreshing for him to do what he did after the A and M job opened, and then for this like. The guy is clearly in a great place and believes he can win there. And I, I do too. And I'm excited to see. I, I love the idea of stability, especially after what Oregon fans had been through with previous head coaches leaving so quickly after other opportunities came. Uh, huge week to be an Oregon fan. Rough week to be a Washington fan because you go through the national championship game. You lose basically your entire offense on Friday and then you lose your head coach. So that is rough up. Sam, let's let's talk about Steve Sarkeesian piece, okay? So we were looking at coaches with Alabama ties. Steve Sarkeesian is one of them, also in the college football playoff. Also a great offensive mind, has been to Tuscaloosa, understands the dynamics of recruiting, coaching there. He is working on a raise. He's probably going to be getting a raise from Texas um, because of being linked to this job. But what did you make of him not being the next Alabama head coach? Yeah, not surprised just because of the situation he's in. Uh, Texas is a really good job. I mean, you check a lot of boxes in terms of what you want or what you need to compete from recruiting base, financial resources, their NIL, their location. It all it all lines up pretty well for Sark. And they've done a really good job in the first three years of building this thing up. And of course, they're not moving in the SEC. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to leave the Big 12 for an SEC job. Texas is on the way there and start playing there next year. So there re- really isn't anything at Alabama other than history. There, there's a larger history, of longer history of championships, richer history of winning. But other than that, there's really nothing else that Alabama offers that you really can't get at Texas. And so it made a lot of sense to me as to why he decided not to go. And honestly, he was already going to get an extension and a, a raise anyway because they signed him to a six-year deal when they got him, but it was it was a little bit for what you would pay for a top-level coach, pretty below market. He made five point six million this year, so he's kind of probably going to get a pretty big bump. Uh, and he was going to get that regardless because of what they did last year. But they've got a ton of momentum. They got three straight top-five recruiting classes. 
Uh, they're doing really well whenever they do go to the portal. Uh, they're doing really well in terms of retaining their guys. They're not losing guys for NIL reasons. He's got a really good situation at Texas, so I totally understand why he wouldn't want to make that move. But if there was a job that, that you would consider leaving Texas for, this might be one of them just because he's been there and he knows, he understands how good that place is. But I think he's him him and his wife, L'Oreal, I think are pretty happy in Austin right now. Well, and it's worth pointing out, too, other news this week, Quinn Ewers is returning. So you have him back after all that we saw him do this season. Arch Manning also back. Uh, so, Sam, <laughs> A, how is that going to work? And B, <laughs> what, what was the boost of Ewers coming back? We knew he was trending in that direction all along, but officially returning to build off of a, a CFP caliber season. Yeah, it's a huge boost because they're losing all the offensive skill talent around him, or most of it. You know, starting running back Jonathan Brooks, uh, their top receivers, Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, the top tight end, Jatavian Sanders. They're, they're going to have to retool a lot. And so to have your quarterback back, who's now going to be in his third year as a starter, he seems to be getting better every year. He took a big leap in his development this year. Wasn't quite, didn't look like he was going to be a first round pick. Looked like he was, I think Dame Brugler, our NFL draft expert, said he was probably a day two pick. He wants to be a first round pick. And so another year of development will do him really well. And another year in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, I think, gives a lot of potential to Texas in this offense to bounce back really quickly. Even though they are losing those guys, they do have a lot of talent. CJ Baxter at the running back, John Tate Cook at receiver, Ryan Wingo, the five star receiver they just signed. They've got a lot of options to work with. So I I would look at them as a team that potentially is in this mix for the playoff next year. Uh, they're probably, I think, in Stu's way too early top 25. I think he had them in the top five. I think he had them like fourth or fifth. So they, they still have a lot of talent on this roster. So getting Quinn back, it makes it feel less like a, a, a rebuild year and more maybe a, hey, we're still going to be pretty good type of season. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's run through a couple of the other names linked to this uh, job. Our reporting from Bruce Feldman and Kenny Smith was that the three finalists uh, of interest, or at least the three ones that got the most serious interest were DeBoer, of course, Mike Norvell, and then Tommy Reese internally. So let's 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 talk start with Reese and then we'll, we'll end with Norvell. He also got a raise, a new contract, and we've also got some NCAA stuff to dissect there. So Chris, um, did it surprise you that Tommy Reese would get an interview? He's been there one season. He came from Notre Dame. He's young. Um, and and coming off of that one season again that ended in the CFP, he gets consideration to to be the guy after Nick Saban. Yeah, I I'm going to try to phrase this without sounding rude, but I think Tommy was probably the the uh, the comfort blanket, so to speak, if if everything went awry. And that's not to say that he wouldn't end up being a great head coach one day, which he still might. Um, but I think that goes to show that how quickly this thing moved and how quickly Greg Byrne and his staff realized that you weren't going to get Steve Sarkeesian, you weren't going to go after Kirby Smart, you weren't going to get uh, I mean, maybe you were going to get Lane Kiffin. We don't know. We have, that reporting hasn't come out yet. But I just think that, you know, you know, Tommy having one year under Nick Saban is better than having no years under Nick Saban. But I was surprised to see that he was considered a finalist as of this morning. I, I was, too. Um, I, I just think the that it must have been a break glass in case of emergency situation because, you know, again, it, it is a really appealing job. But the hard part is going right after Nick Saban and the expectations are going to be not just to pl- reach the playoff, not just to reach SEC championship games. It's to win them. It's to win national championships right out of the gate. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be hard. And a lot of the head coaches, the sitting head coaches in the mix do have really good situations. And and that is part of how this works. And also a lot of these coaches have the same agent and Jimmy Sexton. So he got a lot of people some money this week, including um, let's talk about Mike Norvell. He gets a significant raise and a new contract, which again, they went undefeated uh, 13 and 0 ACC champions. They are already on an upswing. This is a Florida state program that is trying to show that they are committed to spending whatever it takes to compete at the highest level of college football. That's part of their lawsuit against the ACC, part of everything that they're doing right now in stadium renovations, facility renovations. What they do is they sign Mike Norvell to a new eight-year deal. It starts now worth more than $10 million per year. There are not that many coaches making more than that. He was previously at 7.3, according to the USA Today uh, coaches database, which was 15th in the country. And again, there will be coaches that are getting bumps this off season. So we don't know exactly where it shakes out, but very few above that $10 million a year threshold. So that was a, a big commitment from Florida state, but also a significant decision to stay at FSU and what you're building there. If you're Norvell and what you might be going towards, which is could be an uncertain future with this lawsuit against the ACC's grant of rights. And you're deciding to go all in in a year where your roster is also headed to the NFL draft or graduating. There's, you know, could have said this was decent timing for him to go and especially with the ACC future in doubt, but he decides to stay. So Sam, what was your reaction to, to that news that Norvell recommits to Florida state and is getting quite a lot of money to do so. I'm just happy for Florida state fans. Cause boy, <laughs> they have taken it on the chin in the last month, <laughs> month and a half, yeah. ever since the playoff announcement. Because if they had left, good lord! I mean, it's that—that that is, we're past Christmas, but 
that's a lump of coal in your stocking if you get if you miss the playoff and you have all this ACC stuff. Oh, and you get in simply sanctions and you lose your coach. So him staying, I think, is huge. And I think I we them being back, them being great was really fun to watch and has been it it's it's really a remarkable story when you think of where Norvell was a few years ago and where this program was a few years ago. I still remember the Twitter spaces, the fight Mike Fire Mike Norvell Twitter space that went on <laughs> for like a whole day. Uh and and I and I really do I really do hate that they missed the playoff and that you know we, we don't have to relitigate that. But when you look at all this other stuff going on with the ACC and like you said, their uncertain future, I think it's really cool to to borrow from from Cam. It's refreshing that he decided to stay. And granted, he's getting paid a pretty penny for it, but I think he's proven himself to be a really good coach. He he's he can develop talent, he can recruit clearly, and they're going to be relevant for as long as he's there. And they're going to be a serious competitor as long as he's there. And this, at least for the short term, stabilizes some things for Florida State. It, it does. I think that it's, again, I, I like that these guys stayed. Like, I, I think it's awesome for those fan bases. I think it's cool for these programs that are on the upswing, right? These are programs that we think can be regular CFP contenders, um, they can be among the best in the sport and you don't have to rebuild. And you had, again, with some of these fan bases, right? Like we talked about with Oregon losing coaches, FSU, the way that Jimbo Fisher left, like it is refreshing to see it work for there to be patience rewarded at a place like Florida state of all the steps that they needed to make before they got to this season. And then, yes, as you mentioned, everything else that's been going on with the lawsuit, the CFP snub. And then on the eve of this extension and the and the announcement of a new contract for Mike Norvell, news breaking from the NCAA, it's really the first NIL and collective violations and, and resolution. It's a negotiated resolution, which means that FSU and the NCAA agreed on the findings of fact and on the penalties. And it's offensive coordinator Alex Atkins, who's a rising star in the profession. He's awesome. And he essentially drove a someone who was in the portal and was considering Florida State to a meeting with a collective and boosters and like and made that introduction. And that happens everywhere, but it's technically not allowed, right? This is something the NCAA, like their two rules they had for a really long time was no recruiting inducements. So the idea of meeting with boosters or a collective to see what they would offer you if you sign with that school is an inducement. The NCAA has not processed something like this prior so people were feeling emboldened they kept doing these things so it's kind of the ncaa making an example of fsu and trying to rein in this behavior it's mostly aimed at the boosters and collectives but alex atkins has a three-game suspension program is going to be under probation there's a small financial penalty so that is all happening as well so sam to your point you could have had that and then losing your head coach, who, by the way, Norvell was not implicated. His name was not anywhere in this. Um, no penalties for him. But you do have a lot going on in Tallahassee. And the good news is that Norvell is staying. I think a lot of those fan bases and donors think it's good news that they're challenging the grant of rights in the ACC. But it is a lot of betting on yourself. And this is the school and those people who are betting on themselves stepping up to keep Norvell there and to keep the momentum of what they're building. Chris, do you have any thoughts on, on any of the, the what ifs, the candidates that, that could have been for the Alabama job? 
I think we'll know more once some reporting gets out in the coming days. But if Mike Norvell turned down Alabama to stay at FSU, that will be stunning to me um, for a litany of reasons. Um, Nothing against what he's built in Tallahassee, um, but we've seen how quickly things can go sideways there. And like I mentioned with Kalen DeBoer, I think you're only going to get one shot at this if you're guys like Kalen DeBoer or Mike Norvell. So we'll see how that plays out now that he's got his massive extension. I just want to touch on what you both talked about and just the overall health of the sport. And that's, you know, being able to maintain some sort of relevance from a regionality perspective. It's great having someone on the West Coast like Oregon, having Dan Lanning stay there. Um, You know, unfortunately for Washington, it's just a few hours up the road. They're losing uh, their star head coach. But then, you know, you go with Norvell in Florida, like from a from a national perspective, we all assume that it just everything permeates from the South. And it does to the Midwest, but the strength of the sport and the health of the sport is only better. And it only gets better if you have better teams all around the country. So that's what I was also hinting at earlier was when I said like, you know, it's refreshing because you're seeing different places that have historically lost coaches to kind of the hotbed of college football. Instead, they're now retaining him. Just unfortunately for our friends in in Seattle, um, it didn't go their way this time. But again, I think ultimately when you hear former players talk about it, even guys that are on this team, I think you would have a hard time finding anybody be upset with Kalen DeBoer when they said, oh, the Alabama job came open for the first time in three decades. And I turned what like, why would I turn it down if they wanted to offer me the job? Again, we can relitigate. Do you want to be the guy after the guy thing? But I don't know. I think there's something, I don't know, harrowing about the guy that's saying like, sure, I'll do it instead of being afraid, not afraid, but instead, instead of being somewhat uh, walking on eggshells, I think Kalen DeBoer has the kind of mindset and the temperament to do it. Yeah. And, and the quiet confidence uh, to, to take this on. And it is going to be fascinating to watch this all unfold uh, with Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama, what the staff looks like, where Washington search goes. Again, we gave you our thoughts right in the moment as it's happening. Those will certainly change. There will be a lot more coverage and reporting on the athletics website throughout the next couple of days, but we're going to wrap things up here on our emergency podcast by just kind of reiterating the pros and cons of this job and, and sort of the challenges of what Kalen DeBoer is going to walk into. Chris, you just said a couple. So Sam, I'll go back to you. Cause I do want to hit on that recruiting point again mm. about how he's going to do this and your level of confidence of how he can recruit in the Southeastern conference. Yeah, that's the big question. And that that's the one we're going to have to get answered here. Really. We're going to get an answer here in the next few months because as they hit the trail for 2025 guys and start competing, you know, spring official visits are going to start in, you know, late May, early June. So he's going to have to hit the ground running. A lot of it's going to be what kind of staff do you put together? You know, what, what does your on-field staff look like? What kind of recruiters do you have? What kind of off-field staff do you have and for recruiting and personnel? And then how much of a closer are you? How much of a closer can Kalen DeBoer be to go in and get in these guys? I think the number one, like I said earlier, the number one thing for me to them is retention off the bat, is retain as much of this roster as you can. Then after that, it's can you go win head-to-head against Kirby Smart or Steve Sarkeesian or whoever else is recruiting in this region? I think, And, and they're going to have access to talent all over the country. This is a program that recruits nationally, can recruit just about anywhere uh, from coast to coast. And so that's going to be fascinating to see how much does he utilize that and how well can he do it. And th- that, to me, is going to define whether or not he's successful with this job. We know he can 
develop talent. We know he can retain talent. We know he can hire great coaches. We know he can put together an organized staff. We know he's a great game day head coach, great decision-making on the field. The biggest question when you get at this level in this part of the country is, can you win the battle for five stars? And that's going to ultimately, I think, decide whether or not he's a success or a failure there. Chris, any last thoughts as well? Looking forward? You know, I, I can't help but think about my, I talked to Kalen for about 45 minutes the week before the Sugar Bowl, and I talked to him about leaving Fresno State and how difficult that was. And, you know, he said he wasn't necessarily chasing that job, but when Washington came on his radar, it was something that he honestly had to take a long think about, and he did. And obviously he took the job. Now, I'm sure that the, the think on this job was a little more expedited because of the time frame. But listen, this is this is a guy that college football is going to have to get used to um, because he's going to be in your face much more now than he was before. And he's a, a very interesting guy. I mean, he, he is a, a guy that, you know, like I, I said in our story today, like a lot of folks in the South probably didn't know who Kalen DeBoer is or was. Like, like Nicole, you said, he probably could have walked into any you know, grocery store or gas station in the South and nobody would have bat an eye. He is following in the footsteps of the guy that, you know, was the best to ever do it. And everything we talk about, everything that's talked about from recruiting to culture, all of that is, you know, a bedrock that stems from Nick Saban in the last three decades. So how does Kalen DeBoer come in and, and make it his own? Uh, we will see. I, I can't help but wonder, um, you know, to pull in Ari Wasserman, does he go to the portal and get somebody to uh, compete with Jalen Milrow? I don't know. Maybe he does. I mean, like there were already a bunch of guys at Washington that were four and four star recruits. I think they even had a five star at one point. And they went and got Michael Penix Jr. So um, it's it's going to be fun. This is fun. I think it's important that we have some new blood in the SEC and some unproven blood. But listen, uh, Nick Saban hadn't coached in the in the SEC until he joined LS, or LSU back in 2000. And everybody just needs a, a door to be open. And this is the door open for Kalen. It is going to be fascinating. We didn't even talk about Dabo Swinney, although a lot of our commenters did mm. as a name. I remember first writing about him as a potential successor when they first met Alabama and the CFP. And it was interesting to see the reaction from Alabama fans not wanting to dabble this <laughs> go around uh, in his little bit behind the times, uh, to put it nicely, about NIL and uh, the portal and all of that. But yeah, obviously didn't go that route. Didn't go for Alabama ties with, with the Crimson Tide opting to go for Keelan DeBoer out of Washington. Uh, I'll leave you guys on this lasting message as uh, folks who have tracked and followed a lot of coaching searches know. You never, it's always your first choice. Whoever you hire, it's the only one you ever made the offer to. And don't believe what people say about coaching searches. So this one only had a couple of uh, major mess ups, including that Dan Lanning was in Tuscaloosa when he was watching a movie with his son in Oregon. But I'm sure there will be plenty to come. Uh, we will have way more coverage for you on the Until Saturday feed in the coming days and weeks of this move and where Washington will go from here. Go read our website at theathletic.com. Lots and lots of coverage of such a big move. The man who is following Nick Saban will be Kalen DeBoer, the Washington Huskies head coach. He's won everywhere he's been, and we're excited to see what is coming next. Thanks for hanging with us here on another emergency episode of the Until Saturday podcast.